get all my stuff turned on here. How many of you know what the most watched Christmas movie is each year? Anybody know? The, well, the Christmas story may be catching up. I think they every year they have like, it's what is it, on TBS or TNT where they show back-to-back for two or three days straight. But for the longest time, it was It's a Wonderful Life. How many of y'all have seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life? Some of our younger folks haven't. Older folks have. It's one of my, uh, one of my all-time uh, favorite Christmas movies, and I have a clip here that I'm going to show you from, from the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Hang on just a minute. I'm in the wrong spot here. Here we go. I don't know whether I like it very much being seen around with an angel without any wings. Oh, I've got to earn them. And you'll help me, won't you? Sure, sure. How? By letting me help you. Only one way you can help me. You don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you. Oh, no, no. We don't use money in heaven. Oh, yeah, that's right. I keep forgetting that. Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. Oh, tut, tut, tut. Uh, I found it out a little late. I'm worth more dead than alive. Now, look, you mustn't talk like that. I won't get my wings with that attitude. You just don't know all that you've done. If it hadn't been for you... Yeah, if it hadn't been for me, everybody would be a lot better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. And my... Look, little fella, why you go off and haunt somebody else? No, you? now you don't understand. I've got my job. Oh, shut up, will you? Oh, this isn't going to be so easy. Yeah, so you still think killing yourself would make everyone feel happier, eh? Oh, I don't know. I guess you're right. I suppose it'd been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. Oh, you mustn't say things like that. You... Wait a minute. Wait a minute, that's an idea. What do you think? Yeah, I'll do it. All right. You've got your wish. You've never been bored. All right. In this clip, you have the, the main character, George Bailey, who's in a financial bind, which causes him to, to think that life may have been better off without him if he had never been born. And, and uh, most of you who have seen the movie, you know that, that what we find out in the movie is that the, the opposite is in fact true. And, and the point of this movie is that each person's life is significant. What we're going to do for the next two weeks is something really probably uh, much different than, than what you've done in the past and uh, very unique on a Sunday morning. But what we're going to do is we're going to take the theme of It's a Wonderful Life, and we're going to apply it to Christ. We're going to discuss what the world would look like had Christ never been born. And because Christ is a historical figure who stepped out of eternity and into our world and took on flesh and dwelt among us, we're able to see life before Christ came and after He came. And, and also because there are areas of the world 
that have not yet been impacted by the gospel. And there are people now and throughout uh, history who have uh, uh, been raised up with very little knowledge of the person and work of Christ. Once again, we're able to see life with Christ removed. And what you're going to find, I hope you find, along with me, is that it's not a very pretty picture. Now, some would argue the opposite. There have been some throughout history and even today who argue that, that life would be better without Christ. One of those was uh, 19th century atheist philosopher Frederick Nietzsche who uh, coined the phrase, God is dead. He compared Christianity to a poison that has infected the whole world. Listen to what he said about Christ. He said he died too early, for he himself would have revoked his doctrine had he reached greater maturity. The purpose of this sermon series is to show that, that the opposite is in fact true of what Nietzsche concluded. What we're going to look at is we're going to show the next couple of weeks the, that the overwhelming impact of Christ's life on planet Earth has been positive, not negative. Now, I want you to bear with me because the next couple of weeks is going to be different than the sermons that I've preached in the past. It's going to be a little more teachy than, than preachy. So it's going to feel more like a lecture because I'm going to be going through the PowerPoint. I'm going to be showing you a lot of stats and quotes and historical information. But I think you're going to find it really fascinating to look at our world with Christ removed and look at the impact that Christ has had on our life. I also want to, want to ask uh, for your forgiveness now. Because of time restraints, there's no way that I can mention every great event and, and person and organization that has resulted from Christ's life and ministry. That's just how big of an impact Jesus has had. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to show you as, as many as I can. And instead of looking at things kind of chronologically throughout history, what we're going to do is we're going to look at things issue by issue. And we're going to discuss four issues this Sunday and four issues next Sunday. And for each issue we discuss, we're going to do three things. We're going to show, number one, uh, the critique of Christianity concerning that issue. Second, we're going to show that, what that issue would look like if Christ were removed. And then we're going to look at what that issue looks like because of Christ's impact on life. Okay? You got it? Y'all ready to fly? If you don't understand, you will in, in, the, uh, in the midst of it. We're going to start off by talking about the value of human life. The value of human life. Here's the critique of Christianity when it comes to human life. Many believe that Christianity doesn't look too highly on people. They think that Christianity just looks at people as being just filthy, awful, mangy dogs, deserving of hell, and that's it. Many believe that Scripture teaches that, and only that. And uh, in response to this, this is why many man-made belief systems have, have, teach at their core that mankind is inherently good and not inherently uh, evil and sinful. And they teach it worse, you know, mankind is just forgetful, not, not sinful. Also, uh, critics of Christianity have blamed Christianity for the reason why women are discriminated against and also believe and teach that the scriptures condone slavery. So a lot of people don't think too highly of Christianity 
when it comes to valuing human life. Well, let's look at the value of human life without Christ. Prior to the coming of Christ, and also in certain areas of the world where, where Christianity has not made an impact, what you're going to find is life is exceedingly cheap. Let me give you a few examples. First, with children. The value of children. In our culture, we value the lives of our children, don't we? We believe that our children's lives are equal in value to us. I may be the, the, the head of my children in the home, but that doesn't mean my life is any more valuable than theirs is. But is this feeling universal? You'll find that it's not. These feelings are not universal. And in fact, we learn that from the Old Testament, don't we? In the Old Testament, in the nations surrounding Israel, you had a group of people involved in child sacrifice. They would offer their, children's up, their children up and, and put them to death. They would sacrifice their own children to, to the God of Molech. Also, life in ancient Rome was not much better for our children. While killing a, a, a Roman man was a serious offense, did you know that, that killing children was just a common practice in ancient Rome? In, uh, in ancient Rome, you didn't, it said you didn't uh, have a child, you took a child. Listen to what author and, and historian George Grant said about the Romans and how insignificant human life was to them. He said, infants were received into the world only as the family willed. A Roman did not have a child, he took a child. Immediately after birthing, if the family decided not to raise the child, they left him for dead. In a biography I read on William Carey's life, any of y'all familiar with William Carey? who's a missionary, early missionary in India, and in this book, it, it mentions the fact that while he was in India, it was believed that if an infant got sick, they had been possessed by an evil spirit. So what they would do was they would place the child in this basket, and they would hang the basket up and leave them there for uh, three days. Not feeding them, not caring for them, not nurturing them. And only after three days, if the child survived, was there any effort made to spare the children's life. What about when it comes to women? The value of women in, in the ancient world was also exceedingly cheap. In Rome, in ancient Rome, a woman's fate was not much better than a child's. In, in India, prior to the influence of Christianity, widows were voluntarily and involuntarily burned alive with their dead husbands. The practice is known as suti, and it, it's translated good woman, because the Hindus believe that a good woman follows her husband to death. And, and William Carey had to deal with this practice as well. In the 20th century in India, when Amy Carmichael was there, one of, one of our famous missionaries, she noticed a, a, a large number of what were called child widows. They were young girls who were brought up to be temple prostitutes. These are just to name a few. So not much value in human life with Christ removed. Let's look at the value of human life with Christ. God's Word continually teaches the value of human life, doesn't it? I mean, we're told from the very beginning that we are created in the very image of God. It says male and female. God created us in His image, doesn't it? 
Scriptures also tell us, and we're told, the great lengths that God has gone through to save us because He loves us and cares for us. Concerning children, God's Word has a lot to say, doesn't it? In the Old Testament, God and His people, they speak out harshly against the shedding of innocent blood of children. Deuteronomy 18, uh, 18.10 says, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through fire. These things are an abomination to the Lord. Here we have God condemning His Word, condemning the practice of child sacrifice. Christ also showed the value of children, didn't He? Matthew 19, 14, Jesus says, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. And you know what? Christians throughout history have followed this example. Do you know in ancient Rome, when children were being abandoned, you know who took them in? The Christians. Christians took them into their homes and raised them up in a Christian environment because they were following the example of Scripture. And, and we have missionaries who have done that all throughout history, right? There have been many orphanages that have been started uh, throughout the world because of the efforts made by missionaries. In the 1800s, you have George Mueller. It's a cool beard, isn't it? I have to grow me one of those for next week. George Mueller, he started many orphanages in and around England, and he helped thousands of children. We support the Frethimes. The Frethimes in Nigeria, who are, who are uh, they're, they're involved in all sorts of ministries, but one of their ministries is they take in abandoned children in Nigeria and raise them up in a Christian community and, and educate them and love and care for them. When it comes to women, there are countless examples of how God looks favorably on women, isn't there? Think about all the, the, uh, the accounts in the Old Testament of how God uses women. You have Ru Ruth, the Moabite, who becomes the ancestor of David and our Lord. You also have Esther. It's a great story in the Old Testament of how a chosen queen intercedes for her people and prevents the destruction of Israel. Mary, the mother of Jesus who is greeted by the angel Gabriel with the words, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And the list goes on and on. Christ looked favorably on women, didn't he? He goes out of his way to show the value of women in ministry. Remember the widow? The poor widow who came in. She gave probably less than anyone in the room to the offering, but, but Christ commends her and he calls to the attention, this woman has given more than any of you because she's given all that she had. He also uses Mary Magdalene for ministry, doesn't he? Remember Mary Magdalene in the scriptures, we're told, had a questionable reputation and was demon-possessed. Christ targets the, the, uh, the woman at the well and he raises Jairus' daughter to life. These are just a few of the many examples in Scripture that have been uh, that, that we see in Scripture, and God's people have followed this example in caring for women. Let's go back to William Carey. He was primarily responsible for stopping the practice of widow burning in India. We mentioned Amy Carmichael earlier 
famous missionary who fought against childhood prostitution and she weaned many girls out of this situation and into her home and brought them up in a Christian community. Today, there are missionaries who are ministering to Muslim women in the Middle East, bringing them in, abused and battered women, and they are ministering to them at this very moment. Charles Spurgeon, preacher, well-known, well-known pastor and, and preacher, he, he once told a story of, of uh, a Hindu woman who told a Christian missionary, listen to what she said. She said, surely your Bible was written by a woman. And when he asked why, the woman said, because it has so many kind things to say about women. What about slavery? Does Scripture condone slavery? We don't have to read too far into the Scriptures to know that it doesn't, right? When God delivers the children of Israel from Egypt, what does He deliver them from? Slavery. And when God punishes the children of Israel because of their disobedience, what does He punish them with? Slavery. Slavery is not a good thing. Scriptures are clear. Christ came to break down prejudices, didn't He? Think about the story of the Good Samaritan. What prompted that parable was the lawyer asking the question, Lord, who's my neighbor? And and there's something implied there that Christ sees. He's basically saying... Do I have to love everybody? Can I be selective in who I'm neighborly toward? And then what does Christ do? He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And if you know anything about about, uh, the, the context of that, Samaritans and Jews did not like one another. The Jews despised the Samaritans. And Christ tells this story of how of all the people to stop, and to be neighborly toward this Jewish man on the side of the road, the Samaritan is the one who stops. And the Samaritan is the one who loves and cares for him and is neighborly to him. Christ came to break down prejudices. We also see it in Paul's writings as well. In Paul's letter to Philemon, toward the end of the New Testament, he is, the context here is he is sending back a runaway slave named Onesimus to Philemon. And Paul tells Philemon this. He says, When Onesimus returns, receive him not as a runaway slave, but as a beloved brother in Christ. Now, many people have read over this a thousand times and have not thought anything about it, but what Paul is saying here is revolutionary. He is saying, When Onesimus returns, you receive him as an equal brother in Christ. He is putting a slave owner and his slave on equal and you know what over the centuries there have been some Christians that have gotten it wrong there have been some folks that have gotten it wrong but many Christians have followed in the footsteps of their Savior in the 19th century committed Christian William Wilberforce and you all seen Amazing Grace the movie Amazing Grace about his life Uh, William Wilberforce worked tirelessly to end the slave trade from Africa to the West Indies. And and he is successful in doing so. But, But what I love about Wilberforce is this. He doesn't stop there. He then begins to to push for the the to for slaves to be freed in the British territories. And he works his entire life and toward the end of his life in 1833, 700,000 British slaves are set free because of the work of William Wilberforce. 
because of his conviction from the Word of God. It's also no secret that that two-thirds of the members of the Abolition Society were ministers, and many of the leading participants in uh, the Underground Railroad were, were Quakers. So were it not for Christ, we would not be where we are today when it comes to the value of human life. Let's look at compassion and mercy. Compassion and mercy, let's look at what that looks like. Here's the critique of Christianity when it comes to compassion and mercy. Many argue that being compassionate and being merciful is not the result of being a Christian, it's just the result of being a decent human being. And I know today there are many non-Christians out there who are involved in doing good things and doing charities. And there are many charities today that, that, are, that are working and claim no religious affiliation. But with that being said, I think it's important for us to look at not just the state of things now, the way they are now, but, but to, to go back to the source of what makes individuals charitable and, and look at the roots of these charities themselves. But before we do, let's look at compassion and mercy without Christ. Prior to Christ, we learn that there were not too many charitable people out there. Ancient Greek historian Polybius, I think that's right, he said this, he said the Romans didn't have one charitable bone in their body. He said the Romans never give anything away to anyone if he can help it. Man, he must have been done wrong by the Romans. That sounds pretty hateful there, doesn't it? And, and you see this lack of charity among other groups as well in India. They have what's called a, a, a caste system where it is, is taboo for someone of a higher caste, a higher socioeconomic level, to even affiliate with one of a no, lower caste. To do so would be to defile oneself. So not much compassion and mercy without Christ. Let's look at compassion and mercy with Christ. The scriptures have a lot to say on this, don't they? Solomon says in Proverbs 14, 21, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he sets a wonderful example for us by caring for the poor, and he calls his followers to do the same. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 25, 35-40. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. And his disciples said, Lord... You know, when do we do these things? And he said, truly I said, as you have done it to one of the least of these, my brother, you've done it to me. And he encourages this generosity from the poor, from, from all of his followers. And in some cases, he calls for people to give all that they have to the poor. And from this teaching come many of our charities. <clears throat> and though over time they become secular, they have their roots in Christianity. Just listen to some of the names of these secular charities. Daily Bread, Providence House, Covenant House. What do you think inspired the names of these charities? What do you think? Also, without Christ, we would be without the YMCA, which stands for the Young Men's Christian Association, which God has used in a great way to minister to the physical and spiritual needs of millions of underprivileged people around the world. Also, without Christ, we would be without the Salvation Army. We're reminded of them and their work around Christmas, aren't they? Aren't we? This organization is, is fueled by the love of Christ and is constantly helping the poor in countries around the world. 
internationally, much of the work that's being carried out by, uh, to care for people are carried out by our churches and mission organizations. These are just to name a few. World Vision, Samaritan's Purse, which we helped, Operation Christmas Child, Compassion International, all of these ministries are serving those in need. Locally, churches are showing the compassion of Christ, aren't they? There's ministries like First Help, which help people financially. We also have food pantries and angel food ministries, which serve to feed the hungry. A recent Gallup poll said this, churches and synagogues contribute to America's social services more than any other non-governmental institution, including corporations. So a world without Christ would be a world without charity as we know it today. Let's look at education. The impact of Christ when it comes to education. Here's the critique, and I've heard this before. To be a person of faith, or to be a Christian, you have to kind of abandon a little bit of education. The two aren't completely compatible. And I've, I've heard people differentiate the two, two uh, people into two groups. There's one group, they're either ignorant, irrational, superstitious religionists. And then there are the educated, reasonable, and rational human beings. But, but never both. Listen to what atheist Richard Dawkins said. He said, living by faith teaches us to be satisfied with not understanding the world. Well, let's look at what education would look like without Christ. People were educated before Christianity. But did you know it was only a, a privilege? Education was a privilege at that time. It was only an elite group of people who were able to be educated. And there was little concern for the mass number of the uneducated and illiterate in the world during that time. So, so education was a privilege. <clears throat> and what we're going to learn in this section is that without Christ, there would still be large numbers of uneducated and illiterate people. Let's look at education with Christ. Education with Christ. Let me begin by saying this. Every time you see a school private or public, religious or secular, you know what that should be a reminder to you of? Of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Once again, I know that's not the state of things now, but we have to look at the, the source of education as we know it today. Did you know that education for everyone is a Christian idea? It came out of the Protestant Reformation. The Reformers during this time, they knew that for the for the Protestant Reformation to hold, what people had to do was be educated. They had to learn to read and write so that they could read and understand the Scriptures for themselves, which they were translating into the common language. And they pushed this idea for all people to be able to read and write. Dr. Samuel Blumenfeld, in his, in his book written, his Public Education Necessary, wrote... The modern idea of popular education, that is, education for everyone, first arose in Europe during the Protestant Reformation when, when papal authority was replaced by biblical authority. So education for everyone, a Christian idea. Let's look at education in America for a moment. How many of you know that the push for education in America <clears throat> was also made by Christians? When the pilgrims 
and the Puritans first came over to the new world, they both valued education very highly. And it wasn't long until they began to push for their own children to be educated in the colonies. And let me ask you, what materials do you think they used to educate their children? The Bible and Christian literature. And this is how, this is how they, they educated their people. What about higher education? Who's to blame for that? Who's to blame for higher education? We not only have the Christians to blame for lower education, but also for our universities. How many of y'all knew this, that the first 123 colleges and universities in the United States had Christian origins? They were started by Christians for Christian purposes, to train ministers. In fact, were it not for Christianity, <clears throat> we would not have Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, Yale, William & Mary, Brown, Princeton, New York University, and others. Engraved at stone at the entrance of Harvard University is a message that states that the initial purpose of the school was to educate and train ministers. Dartmouth University was founded to train missionaries to go to the Native Americans. Listen to what was written about Columbia University. In 1754, they put out an advertisement for the school that read, the chief thing that is aimed at this college is to teach and engage people to know God in Jesus Christ. Former president of Princeton, Reverend John Witherspoon, said, Cursed be all learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ. And it just goes on and on and on. Also, worldwide literacy is because of Christianity. Most of the world's languages were set to writing by Christian missionaries who had this conviction that people need the Bible in their own language and need to read and understand it for themselves, which that idea comes from what? The Reformation, right? So you see the, in, you, you see the impact that the Reformation has had, and this work is still taking place today. Today, around the world, tribal languages are being codified by Christians out on the mission field. One of the second largest mission organizations in the world is the Wycliffe Bible Translators. This is the work that they do. Tell me if you'd like to sign up for this job. They send missionaries to areas where people cannot write and there's no written form of their language. They then learn how to speak the language. Then they put the language into writing. Then they teach the people how to read in their own language. And then they translate the Bible into the people's own language so that they can read and understand the Bible for themselves. It's amazing, isn't it? If you're looking for a good book to read, read In Search of the Source. It's written by a Wycliffe Bible translator. It's, a, it's amazing the work that they're doing. It's amazing their work they're doing. And, and this work is not only helping to fulfill the Great Commission, which is the most important thing, but it's, it's spreading worldwide literacy. So without Christ, many of us, think about this, many of us would be uneducated and maybe even illiterate. Beginning to see the impact of Christ. Let's look at ethics and morality. This is the last thing we'll, we'll discuss here. Where would we be morally as a society? Here's, here's the critique of Christianity when it comes to morality. Many believe 
that Christians, along with other belief systems, are to blame for the evils in our world. Former atheist, and now he's a Christian theologian at Oxford, Alistair McGrath, he said this, Atheists believe wherever religion exercises power, it oppresses and corrupts using violence to enforce its own beliefs and agendas. Let's, let's hear from an atheist here. Bertrand Russell, I say quite deliberately that the Christian religion as organized in its churches has been and still is the principal enemy of moral progress in the world. Let's look at whether or not he's right. Let's look at morality without Christ. We've already talked in the Old Testament about the surrounding nations of Israel and the godless and immoral practices they did. They offered up their children as sacrifices on the God of, to the God of Molech. And there was also Baal worship taking place. Baal was a god of sexuality. And in this practice, they employed male and female prostitutes to be involved in their, in their worship celebrations. We've already talked at great length about ancient Rome and how immoral they were as a society. So things aren't good morally, are they, without Christ? Let's look at morality and ethics with Christ. Listen to me closely when I say this. Nothing in all of history compares to what Christ and, and the Christian faith has done for morality around the world. The Western world owes a great deal to Christianity. And, and, and to Christ, because through Christ, tribes, peoples, and nations have been changed for the better. The pagans of Rome took notice of, of the morality of, of Christians. Remember this, into this world, our Savior is born. And His impact is unmatched, isn't it? And, and the Romans took notice. Listen to what historian... Uh, Will Durant said about the Romans, he said, Pliny, who was a governor, was compelled to report to the emperor Trajan that the Christians led peaceful and exemplary lives. Galen described them as so far advanced in self-discipline and with an intense desire to attain moral excellence. And their impact on the Roman world was obvious. The barbarians and the Vikings... After the Romans come the barbarians and the Vikings, and these groups were some of the most ferocious, godless, warlike people the world has ever known, destroying anything that got in their way, including women and children. And you know what the Christians do? Those dumb Christians, right? Send out missionaries to minister to them. Put their life on the line to minister to these warring groups. And you know what? God gets a hold of their lives and things change. Their lives are changed and their culture is changed, transformed by Christ. And we see this greater morality wherever the gospel goes. Modern missions, once again, has done a lot to improve morality in our world. In the past 200 years, churches and mission agencies have been sending out missionaries to the far corners of the world. And I want to end by telling you this story. There's a lot of stories I could tell, but I want to tell you about the story of Mary Slessor in Nigeria. <clears throat> she was from Scotland and was converted to Christianity in her teens, and, and shortly after, she felt a call to go and to be a missionary in Africa. And she got over there in 1876, 
And when she was there, shortly after she arrived, she learned about a group of people known as the Calabar people. And they were the most ferocious and feared people in the country, so much so that government soldiers feared to go in and do anything about it. It was said that their customs were so vile that it stretches the imagination to consider the types of things these people did to one another. And guess where this little old lady went? She went in to minister to the Calabar people. And God not only spared her life, you know what happened? God used her to reach this group of people for Christ. We're told that because of her faithfulness to go, chief after chief after chief from various villages began to surrender their lives to the Lord. And you know what happened? These practices that plagued the people for years and years, they were put to a stop. In other words, the gospel made an impact in this area of the world. And we see that wherever the gospel goes, so goes this greater morality. So had Jesus never been born, God only knows how immoral our world would be. So though atheists like Friedrich Nietzsche, Bertrand Russell, and Richard Dawkins, though they, they believe that our world would be better off without Christianity, you know what? History tells us different, doesn't it? Christ is not with what's wrong with the world, but check this out. He's, he's what the world needs the most. Only through Christ does human life in general and the lives of individuals change for the better. As you celebrate Christmas this week, I want to urge you to do something. I want to urge you to spend time being reminded of and being grateful for the wonderful gift God gave in sending us His Son. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You so much. We can't thank You enough for the wonderful gift of Your Son. Forgive us, Father, for failing to realize the impact that Christ has had on our world and in our lives as individuals. This week, Father, may we be mindful of the fact that Christ is what our world needs the most. In Jesus' name, amen.